This is not a tag team sermon here. I just wanted to introduce you to Andy Knowlton. Andy Knowlton is my wife's cousin. So I've been stuck with this family. I've known, I've known Andy uh, for about 15 years because we've been married 12 and we were dating. We were actually friends before then. It's probably been over 15 years. Um, if you want to know about Andy, why I put doctor there specifically, he is uh, not a real doctor. He's a dentist. <laughs> no, just <laughs> Thanks, sorry, man. just joking. Bar that was for Barbara. Um, he is a dentist. Now, what you'll find out about Andy also is actually these teeth are not real. He was in an accident skiing, right? Correct. Is that correct? He was skiing, and did it get stuck in the pole, like hit you in the mouth? I got some wicked air off that mogul. And then when I landed, the pole went in the ground and my face followed. So um. ever since I was interested in being a dentist, two things I remember, getting my smile back, and that made me feel so good. And I remember my dad laying $100 bills on that guy's <laughs> front desk. I thought, I'd like to do that. So uh, honestly speaking, Andy is one of the most Christ-centered men I know. Um, even though he's not officially in pastoral ministry, I see that he has this youth class. He's invited youth over to his house regularly, not just youth, youth of all ages, we'll say. Um, and he has provided a ministry for his home church that a lot of pastors haven't even done. Um, he has used his finances for the Lord's work. He's used his, his breath for the Lord's work. And I just want to thank you for coming. Thanks, so. Ken. And even after, uh, even after meeting him, I still allowed him to marry my favorite cousin out there. So, uh, welcome, Downers Grove, Seventh-day Adventist Church. You guys have a beautiful church here. Um, uh, my home church is Three Angels Fellowship, Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're just north of Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's still snowing in Michigan. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I did bring a cold with me, so you'll have to excuse my, uh, my stuffiness this morning. Um, uh, in Luke 4, chapter, 20, or chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus states that no prophet is accepted in his own land. That's why I jumped at the chance uh, on Kent's invitation to come over here and speak with you guys today. Um, like Kent said, I'm a, I'm a dentist by trade. Uh, so I guess I'm used to people not listening to me. But Pastor Kent reassured me that all Downers Grove members have taken an oath to floss on a daily basis. Although I am the son of a carpenter, I am certainly no prophet. But I want to share a message with you today from the Lord. And we're going to go back to some basics today uncomplicated scripture, to-the-point scripture, good news, gospel message scripture today. I heard a version of this sermon that I'd like to share with you guys today about 10 years ago. Maybe it was over 10 years ago. And I don't think that a week goes by that I don't at least contemplate some of the points of that sermon. I hope that you guys are blessed in the same way today, the same way that I have been contemplating God's word. 
You guys have already seen some amazing talent here in Downers Grove also. Hey, Joe, when you were nailing out those notes to, those, to that music today, when we met back here, um, Gloria wasn't here, and people wondered, is there going to be special music? And I'm so glad that Gloria showed up and did that special music. She did such a wonderful job. Because I was really scared that I would have to give the special music. And so if I had to give the special music, I would just be really, really quiet, and I'd let Joe pound out those notes, because that sounded wonderful. Let's pray. Father God, I know that you have a very specific message for my friends here in Downers Grove. Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be open to that message, that we would use that to become more like you, that you would change our hearts, kind of selfishly so that we could become more like you, but then a bigger picture so that we could help others become more like you too. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We don't really even understand the wondrous love that you have for us, but I pray today that you will maybe show us a little bit clearer how much it is that you really love us. Lord, thank you for your word. We're about to open it. I just pray that you would give us understanding and that again your Holy Spirit would fall on this church. In your name we pray, amen. My family and I are visiting from Grand Rapids, Michigan, just north of Grand Rapids. Three Angels Fellowship is, uh, is a church in one of the, the northern suburbs called Rockford. I'm here with my family. Pam and I have been married for over 20 years. We're working on 21 years. We have five children, and four of those kids are here with us today. Our oldest, uh, Caleb, is six, he just turned 16 years old, and he is on an epic road trip with Grandma and Grandpa. Caleb just turned 16, and he'll be getting his license, his driver's license, when he gets home. I'm already dreading the process of purchasing that used car. It'll probably happen this summer. I'm anticipating, just like I did, and maybe just like many of you did, that Caleb will choose an automobile that's well over the budget. And I'm anticipating me explaining to Caleb that his driving comfort isn't worth X amount of thousands of dollars. Or I can see us driving different cars and me getting out and saying, Caleb, that car is not worth $5,000 or $6,000 or whatever it is. When we discuss something's value or something's worth, there is one central idea to keep in mind. And this is point number one of today's message. Point number one, worth is subjective. Worth is subjective. That is, the value of something is determined by the person who is willing to pay the price. Does that make sense? Worth is subjective. The value of something is only determined by the person that is, that is willing to pay that price. A few years ago, I have to tell you the story, I saw this principle epitomized. I am the youth Sabbath school teacher, among many other hats that I wear at Three Angels Fellowship. I'm the youth Sabbath school uh, leader, and one of my kids, Dylan, Dylan was college age, and he had a summer, he had a summer, a summer gig, a summer job. 
his summer job was selling rainbow vacuums. Has anybody ever heard of a rainbow vacuum before? Okay. So Dylan came to me, and Dylan said, Andy, may I come over to your house and do a presentation on one of these rainbow vacuums? You don't have to buy it. But I get to make $50 just by coming over and doing that presentation. I mean, this is one of my kids. What am I going to say, no? Of course, I will always say yes to one of my kids. There's no doubt about it. So Dylan comes over and he brings the whole air purification system. And Pam and I are sitting there on the couch. And I think this might have even been before kids, honey. Anyways, we had a small house. And one, I got to tell you one thing about the house. I didn't have that much carpet in that house. There was zero carpet. Okay, So I am not in... I'm not, I'm, I don't need a vacuum cleaner at all. So Dylan comes over, and Pam has gone through this rainbow vacuum presentation before. And she even knows how much it costs, but I don't have a clue, and she didn't tell me. All right? So there we are sitting on the, on the couch, and Dylan goes through this presentation. Now, what did I tell my wife before Dylan ever got there? We're not buying anything today. Okay, you guys have probably gone through some of the same presentations I have. We're not buying anything today. Dylan gets 50 bucks. Let's just humor him, let him get through this, and, and on his way he'll go. So Dylan comes and does his presentation. Now, as Dylan is nailing his presentation, he's doing an excellent job. I can't believe one of my kids is so talented, such a talented salesman. I call him my kid. He's only my Sabbath school kid, right? So he's going through this presentation, and... Pam can see that the lights are starting to go on with me. I'm getting sold on a vacuum that I don't even have any carpet to do it. So in my head, I'm starting to rationalize what Dylan is saying. And I make up in my head, okay, if, if he gets to the end and he says that this rainbow vacuum is $400 or less, I'm buying it. Because then I'm thinking, he'll probably get to make a commission on that 400 bucks, and he'll get more than just 50 bucks, and I can afford $400. I know it's a little bit expensive, but man, that's a sweet air purification system that's there. <laughs> so Dylan does his presentation, and he gets to the very end, and I'll never forget it. And I said, okay, Dylan, how much does this baby cost? And you know what Dylan said? $2,800. 2800 $2,800. And I started to laugh. It's like, come on, how much does this cost? He said, no, it's $2,800, or it's six easy payments of whatever he said. So I'm laughing, and he's like, well, why are you laughing? And I was like, it can't be. It's not, it can't be that much. I said, well, yeah, it is. I can give you a deal since you're my good buddy, and we'll go, I can go down to like $2,750, I think is what it was. So to make a long story short, I didn't buy a vacuum that day because to me, no vacuum is worth $3,000. Now, some people have a, a rainbow vacuum, and I bet they got it cheaper than that. But still, even if it was $1,000, I wasn't going to get it. No vacuum is worth $3,000 to me. But to some people, it's worth it. To someone else, it might be worth it. Because worth is subjective, 
right? That was point number one. Worth is subjective. The one who's willing to pay the price is the one that determines its value, okay? I said, no, $2,800 is not worth it. Somebody else, they might say, yeah, it's worth it. Keeping that point in mind, I want, to, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Our scripture reading that Kent did today was, it was only three verses long, but in those three verses, there were two parables. Did you get that? Why did Jesus speak to his disciples in so many parables? Jesus had a very, very difficult task. If you think about that, here we have Jesus on one side, and we have his disciples on one side. Jesus, a resident of heaven, the center of all knowledge on this side. And then you have disciples. It's like me, sinful, earthbound brains. They've never seen anything close to heaven before. And yet, this person has to communicate effectively with these people. How did he do it? Parables would help Jesus communicate difficult points to his disciples. Jesus would say stuff like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then in his head he's like, how am I going to communicate this with these disciples? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Or the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Some of Jesus' parables were long. Some of his parables were very short, only one or two verses, like our scripture reading this morning. Let's go back to, to read Matthew chapter 13. And just verse 44, Matthew 13, 44, the word of God says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. So here's, you can picture it. Here's this guy roaming. I'm not sure what he's doing. He's roaming through this field, and he trips over something. And he bends down and he uncovers it and he sees something wonderful, something beautiful, something that he had to have, something that it didn't matter how much, how much he had to pay for it, he was going to get that treasure. You see, there's a transaction then now here. We read about this transaction. How do you think that that transaction looked to his family? to his friends. It's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm going to go sell everything I have. I'm selling the clothes on my back. I'm selling everything. I'm selling my house. I'm selling this. I'm selling that. So what are you doing that for? I want to buy something. It's like you're selling everything. You're selling your belt that's holding your pants up. Yep, everything is on the table. So you can imagine, say you were in that family, it's like, hmm, I don't think this transaction looks very good. I think that this guy has, I think that he's maybe losing his mind. That transaction doesn't really look very good. In that parable that we just read, who is that treasure? Who is that treasure? Christ. Jesus is that treasure. The gospel is that treasure. When we run into Jesus, when we stumble over Jesus, and we see the treasure of the gospel... We are so taken by Christ that we would give up everything we had just to be with him. Jesus isn't just a caboose that we add to the end of our life. 
when we truly encounter Christ, everything is on the table. Our desires are on the table. Our vacations are on the table. Our appetite is on the table. Our decisions are on the table. Our friends are on the table. I believe that this is what this parable is teaching. But I don't think that this conclusion exhausts the interpretive possibilities of this parable. We'll come back to Matthew chapter 13. But I want you to head over to 2 Corinthians. Point number two. We're going to hit 2 Corinthians next. Point number two. Point number one was worth is subjective. Point number two. It is nearly always the case that the contents of something are worth more than the container that holds it. Does that make sense? The contents of something are worth more than the container. That's usually the case. Why do bank robbers rob banks? Is it because of the nice brick facade and the nice landscaping around that bank? No, 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 no. They rob the bank for what's on the inside, right? The contents, because the contents are more valuable than the container. How about the Mona Lisa? What's more expensive, the Mona Lisa or the frame that holds that thing on the wall? How about that chocolate that you got for Valentine's Day? Is it the chocolate that brings the joy or that box that that chocolate is on the inside? We like the juice, and that's more valuable to us than the container that holds that juice. So point number two, it is nearly always the case that the contents of something are worth more than the container that holds it. Now we're going to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. This is what the Word of God says. Verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. When did God command light to shine out of darkness? At creation. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure. What treasure? The knowledge of Christ. The very knowledge of God in our hearts. But we have that treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Where is the knowledge of God? Where did he put that? In this earthen vessel. Does point number two, the contents are more valuable than the container, still hold? Does, doesn't it? Me and all my fake teeth, I'm not worth very much. I'm just an earthen vessel. I'm just a jar of clay. But what's on the inside, what God put there, that's some valuable stuff. Do we realize how privileged we are to know who God is? You guys know how God is perceived out there. A vindictive God, a glory hound God, some God that's out to get us. The most important knowledge that you'll ever have is the knowledge of who God is. 
another really important piece of knowledge is the knowledge of who we are. We're just a container. Our contents, however, are awesome. What are our contents? The glory of God, the knowledge of God, God's character. What's more valuable, my contents or my vessel? My contents. My Bible tells me that God is love. Where or at what event do you think that God is love was most epitomized? Where do you think? At the cross. I would agree. I would say, well, it's at the cross. If you wanted to distill Christianity down to just one event, I think that we would probably say the cross. The message of the cross in one sentence would be God valued sinful humanity more than his own existence. God valued sinful humanity more than even his own existence. You see, Sister White tells us that Jesus saw the cross as a terminal event. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Another way to sum up the cross, God would rather go to hell for you than to live in heaven without you. When we look at that juice container analogy, we are the container. According to 2 Corinthians, we are just the container. God is the contents. The message of the cross is that God valued the container more than he valued himself. That's really what the cross is saying. We, I mean, we would agree the contents of something is usually more valuable than the container. But what the cross is really telling us is, Jesus, I, I'm going to die, and I'm not, I'd rather go to hell for you than live in, in heaven without you. God sees things not like we see things. God valued the container more than he valued the contents itself. Let's go back then and take a look at Matthew chapter 13. Maybe we look at this a little bit different. With this in mind, could there be something more profound in this parable than what we've already discussed? Matthew 13 44, 45, and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all he has to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The essence of this parable is not about what we give up. It's about what Jesus gave up. The essence of the gospel is not about what we give up. It's about what Jesus gave up. The essence of religion is not about what we give up. It's about what Jesus gave up. Could this parable be seen through different eyes? I think it can. Jesus is the man walking through the field. Jesus is 
the man seeking fine pearls. Jesus is walking through that field and he stumbles over something. He unearths that something. And it is something that has immeasurable value to him. It is something wonderful. It is something amazing to Jesus. Jesus is the man walking through the market seeking fine pearls. And he comes to one vendor in particular. And he thinks he sees something in the corner. It's, this is a pearl that's not set out with all the other ones here. And so he asks the merchant, hey, let me take a look at that pearl back there. It's kind of covered up with some of your paperwork. No, 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 Jesus, you don't want to look at that. Look at all these pearls that I have. Look at this one. Look at this one. Look at how beautiful this one is. But Jesus can't keep his eyes off of that one in the corner. Jesus says, let me, let me, let me just see that one. No, Jesus, you don't want to see that one. That one's, that one, that one's going to cost you. Just take a look at all these other pearls that I have. And Jesus says, no, I want to see that one. So reluctantly, the vendor goes back and he grabs that pearl and he says, here it is, Jesus. You don't want to have this one, though. That one right there, that one's going to cost you too much. And Jesus says, yeah, but I want to see it. Jesus takes and looks at it and he holds it up to the light and it is a beautiful pearl. There's no doubt about it. Jesus says, I know you said how that this one's going to cost me. How much is this one going to cost me? And the, the vendor says, well, Jesus, that one will cost you everything. That one will cost you your life. That one will cost you your eternal existence. Jesus holds it up to the light again. I'll take it. I'll take it. You know what he's looking at, don't you? Jesus holding that pearl up there. You know who he sees? He sees you. He's looking at you. And he says, I'll take it. What if the essence of the gospel is not about what you give up, but about what Jesus has given up? If Jesus paid an infinite amount for you, then it must mean that you are worth an infinite amount. When I think of that, maybe you're thinking the same thing. Not me, Andy. This guest speaker has no idea who I am. This guest speaker doesn't know anything about the junk that I've done. I'm not worth an infinite amount. I'm not worth this. I'm not worth that. I'm not worth it. You don't know what I've done. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you all the junk that I've done. We don't have that much time. When you say, I'm not worth that, uh-uh-uh, you don't get to determine your value. God does. Value is determined by the one who is willing to pay the price. The purchaser determines the value of something, not the seller. Now, society says that we can add to our value, right? We can add to our worth if we do this 
or if we say this, or if we learn about this. God says, I set the value of you, and I am willing to pay it all. That's, I contemplate that a lot. I say, man, I am not worthy, and I am not worth that much. But God has to continually remind me that I don't get to set my own value. He says, I set your value, and I'm willing to pay everything for you, just me, just you. That's amazing. Has anybody here ever bought a lemon? Does anybody here even know what a lemon is? Whether it's a car or a, an electronic device or an appliance, I bet there's several lemon stories out there. Why did you buy a lemon? There's only one reason you bought a lemon. You didn't know. That's the only reason anybody would ever buy a lemon. is because you didn't know, right? If you knew, you would have never bought it. We serve an omniscient God. He knows Everything. It's kind of fun to ponder that because my little brain has a hard time wrapping around that. God doesn't know anything better than he knows something else. God never discovers anything. God is never surprised. He is never amazed. He never wonders about anything or everything. God never has to seek out any more information. Kind of interesting. A lot of people are afraid of self-disclosure. They're afraid if they open up to somebody that somebody might not like what they see or what is revealed. And so many, many tend to hide within themselves. They long to be known, but they don't want to open up. God knows you. He knows your unforsaken sins. He knows your really gross sins. He knows the secret crimes you've committed. He knows the flimsiness of every pretext. He knows your poor excuses for sin. He knows your sinful conduct. He knows the real reasons. God knows you're a lemon. And he bought you anyways. We are worth the very life of God. And that's what the gospel is. We are worth the very existence of God. You can't add to your worth. You might as well stop trying. You can't add to your worth. You just have to accept it. How can a God love me so much? How can a God, I don't even know who you guys are, but I can imagine some of you are pretty bad. I know Kent a little bit. He's really bad. 
how in the world can God love us so much? You can't add to it. You just have to accept it. Our closing hymn today is hymn number 547. Hymn 547.